Well, good morning, everybody, and welcome again to Encounter Church. We're kicking off a brand new series, as we just heard, today called Priorities. And uh, for the first time ever, we've custom designed and wrote one of these uh, little devotionals that's going to couple along with the weekend content and kind of carry us through the series together. Uh, Fun fact about this one, it was written by our very own Joe Hayes, location pastor over there at uh, Fulton Heights. We see you. He did a phenomenal job on this one, and we all put it together as a team after that. Uh, So grab one on your way out. Our Torium greeters are going to be passing them out. Maybe you know somebody who's watching or following this uh, series online. Grab an extra one for them. Kind of create a reason to get into contact with them and to make that invitation one more time. Uh, The series is called Priorities, and really the problem that we're addressing in the series is right there in the title of the series. Uh, Kind of a fun fact about the word priorities, in the history of the English language, this word is kind of a new one. Uh, The word priority goes way, way back for hundreds of years in our language, but the word priorities, the plural, is only a recent addition to the language. It's only maybe, um, maybe about 90, 80 years old or so. Because for a long time, people really had, I guess, a lot of common sense, right? Like you couldn't have more than one Priority. Priority is a word that simply means the thing that comes before anything else. And it wasn't until like the 1940s or 50s that we started thinking as a people, hey, you know what? What if we divided and split up our attention? Like what if we put several things in the highest category? Several of items that come before all of the other items. That sounds like a great idea. So can I ask the Dr. Phil question like, okay, how's that working out for you? Well, we're addressing it in a series together. So it's my hope and it's my aim for us as a community as we go through the content of this message series is that we start to tease apart and we start to recognize the difference between the urgent and the important. Because I think it's God's design for us in this series, especially it's his intention, it's his hope for us, that we learn how to live a more intentional, a more meaningful, a more important life. And to do that, we have to start to separate, like I said, the difference between the urgent and the important. The urgent, if you're taking notes, is typically more like the, the deadline approach of tasks. The urgent is the thing that, like, that you need to get done by a certain time, and, and it kind of weighs on you heavily. But the important, generally speaking, doesn't have a deadline attached to it, but the important, the distinction there, the important is all about some um, taking an actionable step towards a goal in your life or to be a certain kind of person or to learn and grow in a certain kind of way. And what we do is we live in the tyranny of the urgent with the notifications and the blings and blongs, the phone, whatever it is, the deadlines that hit us day to day or maybe sometimes hour to hour. And it's so easy, isn't it? It's so easy to neglect the important, the life goals that God is asking us to take. I, I run into this, like, I run, honestly, I run into this every single week because every weekend I'm governed by the, by the fear of, like, I have to stand on a stage with a microphone and to give you some kind of biblical concepts to which God would have us live our lives. It's very important things. But all week long, it's like, bling, blong, phone's going off, a meeting, an appointment, a phone call, something that's vying for my attention. It's the urgent. And it's so easy to neglect 
the important. I think anybody, anybody that's tried to like maybe take care of yourself physically, right? Or, or maybe spiritually, tried to be the kind of person that sets an alarm, wakes up in the morning before anybody else uh, to either you know, take care of your body, go for a walk, go for a run, hit the gym. Maybe it's read devotional for a while in my life. I'm like, you know what? The first app, it's a little silly thing, but I wanted to make it my thing. The first app that I open every single morning, I want it to be the Bible app. I want to start my life off in that direction. Not, you know, paper Bible, devotional, that's one thing, but the app that I go to every single morning, right? And, and so I want to start off with that thing. But we know what happens, right? That's the important thing. But the urgency thing is like, I look at my phone to like start off the day in the Bible app and I see a little notification badge, you know, new email that comes in or somebody texted me all, you know, over the night and I got to respond to that. And then I'm like, and then I'm pretty soon, I'm like checking the direct messages, Facebook messages, I'm scrolling through Instagram reels. An hour later goes by and I never even opened up the Bible app, right? We're torn between the urgent and the important. And so what we're doing in this series is we're opening up this Old Testament wisdom in the book of Haggai. We're going to say Haggai to Haggai. This is a dad joke. We got a bunch more. A bunch more. It's Father's Day. So here it comes. I didn't, I didn't wear my grass stained New Balances because I didn't want to flex on any of the dads out there too, too badly. Uh, Haggai in the Old Testament, if, uh, if you're looking for it, if you want to follow along, we're going to be in that book the entire duration of this series. You can find it. It's super easy. It's right between Zephaniah and Zechariah. Not much. You're very thankful and, and grateful for having technology because you can just start typing like, H-A-G-G. There it is. Haggai. I love it. He's a minor prophet. Didn't get called up to the majors yet. So we're going to go all day on this, guys. We can go all day. Um, Haggai. We're, we're hanging out in the, in the book of Haggai this entire time. And, and we're going uh, to see some wisdom. And really what this book addresses, uh, on a more serious note, what this book addresses is every single one of us who said, I thought there was something more. I thought by this time in my life, or I thought that at this stage in my life, I thought that there would just be something more. You, know, you don't have to be advanced in years to feel that way. You can start to feel that way in college. I thought that by the, time, the summer that I was going into my junior year, I thought that I would know what my major is yet. I thought that there would be more. I thought that by the time I'm, I'm almost 30, I thought that I would be married by now. I thought that I'd be a little more relationally solid. I thought that I'd have kids by now, but I just, I don't have it. And Father's Day is a, is a cool reminder of that. I just thought there would be more. I talked to somebody years ago who was, who was financially solvent and solid, able to retire early. Finally, I have the freedom to do whatever it is that I want to do with my life and with my time. Nobody is going to make me or demand on me to do whatever they want me to do. I get to do it myself. A few months later, the description that he used to describe the life stage that he was in, wobbly. It was too much freedom. I I don't know what to do with myself. But I thought that by the time I got here, that there would just be something more. And so what we're going to do, we're going to open up Haggai, and we're going to hear what God has in mind for us to create this kind of meaningful, this intentional, not urgent, but important life 
together. We're going to go to Haggai chapter 1, verse 1, if you'd like to follow along. And we're going to do the first few verses here. But the first one says this. um, In the second year of King Darius, on the first day of the sixth month, the word of the Lord came through the prophet Haggai of uh, to Zerubbabel, son of Shealtiel, governor of Judah, and to Joshua, son of Josedek, the high priest. Very inspiring words. And we're going to pause it right there. Uh, we actually are pausing it right there. It's, uh, it's a weird way to start off the message. You're like, really? Like, those are the verses you picked? I mean, it's Bible, so we're going to, you know, we're going to go there. They saw saw a good reason to include it, so we're going to kind of keep it going from there. But we want, to, we want to pause there because I'd like us to just recognize that these aren't just stories that kind of happen in a vacuum. Like for thousands of years, these words are 2,500 years old. For these thousands of years, people have preserved these words, held on to these words because they meant something. And I love the way that this prophet starts his book, his writing, because he frames this story that we're about to hear in actual real life history. Like these are real people in a real place with real problems that are remarkably similar to ours. Haggai wants us to know that the story that's just about to unfold unfolds in a certain time. The second year of King Darius on the first day of the six months at a specific time. I think Haggai is trying to get us collectively to kind of ask the question... What was happening during that time that you want us to know so much about? Thank you for asking. Let's dig into it. It's, it's a bit of a, a prequel, what we're going to do. You guys are familiar with the, with the prequel language, right? It's like there's the original Star Wars trilogy that everybody knows and loves. And then we got the prequels on that. They just kind of fill in, like, answering a lot of the questions that all of us are asking. Like, why is Darth Vader so evil and angry all the time and then we watch the prequels and we're like he had to spend that amount of time with Jar Jar Binks I understand everything now right like that's where the Death Star comes from it's prequel language and so that's what we're doing we're jumping in this is the this is the prequel to to what happens in Haggai we have to know what just happened to Haggai so little deep a little history, but I think everything is going to make a little bit more sense on the far side of it um, what, what we've got here is starts up Solomon's temple uh, Solomon is this ancient king, ancient even by, even by Haggai standards. He makes this extraordinary temple. It's a more beautiful temple than we could ever imagine. We could do a whole series just on the significance of the temple, but let's just leave it at, wow, that kind of a temple. Okay? The people worship God at the temple for a long, long time until they basically decide to turn their backs on God, and God tries to get their attention using prophets, using a number of other mechanisms, before eventually deciding it's time for people, it's time for my people to experience what it's like if I pull back my presence from them. And so Babylon comes in, 587 B.C., from the north, comes into Jerusalem, absolutely destroys the temple. Like, No stones left on top of another kind of destruction. Carts off a whole bunch of these people, pretty much everybody. Brings them to Babylon. Keeps them in captivity. Uh, Seventy years, this is the book of Daniel, was written around this time. Seventy years goes by and the people are in captivity. And they're wishing and they're longing. And you know they're praying for God to make a way. For God to do the impossible. And to somehow bring them back from exile to Jerusalem to rebuild this temple. For seventy years. A generation goes by, 
And they pray for the opportunity to get to live into their spiritual identity once more. They pray for the opportunity to just simply be allowed to rebuild the temple that they remember was so great in the stories that they grew up on. And by God's miraculous provision, after 70 years in exile, the king says, yes. And they get to go home. 50,000 people get to leave exile, get to resettle in Jerusalem and start rebuilding that temple that they spent so long praying about. And then it got hard. And then they realized that the building materials weren't suitable enough. And they realized that their neighbors, particularly the Samaritans to the north, didn't really want to have new neighbors move into town. And so they'd skirmish, they would attack, they would, they would fight with each other. And building the temple was bumped down on the priority list. So we break into the story, prequel time, we break into the story when it's been 15 years. 15 years after they got to move back. 70 years they prayed for the opportunity to rebuild that temple. 15 years of being able to rebuild the temple and deliberately choosing, implicitly or explicitly, every single day for 15 years not to. And God decides, enough is enough. We're going to address the problem. I want them to lead a meaningful intentional, important life. And so in verse 2, this is what the Lord Almighty says. These people say the time has not yet come to rebuild the temple. These people say. I mean, it's kind of funny language for anybody who has kids, like dads, right? Because everywhere else in the Old Testament, just about when God refers to the people of Israel, he refers to them as my people, but now when they're acting, acting badly, disobedient, suddenly they're like, these people? I mean, you guys know, Dad, you, you guys know what it's like, right? When you, you come home, and, uh, and you know what kind of day it was, because it's not like our son, it's like your son. You're like, I'm pretty sure you were there. Never mind, doesn't matter. These, God's not married, so instead of saying, like, your people, he says, these people, these people say the time, and this is a key word, the time is not yet come to rebuild the Lord's house. Not yet. We're going to look at some of the excuses. We've got three of them. Some of the excuses that we make for not elevating, not prioritizing the important in our lives. The first one, and and probably honestly most important one, is those two words, not yet. The reason why we haven't taken the steps to live a more intentional, more meaningful, more important life is is we say, it's not, no, it's not yet. I think those two words are possibly some of the most powerfully destructive words in the English language. Not yet. I'll get to it. I intend to. Just not yet. More Father's Day content. When uh, my wife and I were expecting our first child, uh, it was a due date in September. And those of you who had the pleasure of being pregnant in this hot summer months, second and third trimesters, you know it's uncomfortable to do just about anything. One of the joys for my wife and I would go on, we'd go on these long walks in the summertime. And uh, second, third trimester in the 100 degree humidity, we were doing less long walks when our first child uh, was, uh, was on the way. Uh, so what we did, um, 
What we did is we stayed inside and did the, the air conditioning and TV thing in the evenings instead of going for a long walk, which is awesome. I mean, I, I was into it. I loved it. But I also decided to up the ante just a little bit and, uh, and get myself like a giant triple-decker layer of nachos along the way. And like looking back, you're going, I think there's a pretty big caloric swing between going for long walks and eating mile-high nachos every night and watching TV. You would be correct, as it turns out. Uh, my, my food baby kept pace with her baby baby for a long time, longer than it should have. True story, one time uh, Christmas, she got me a Fitbit as a Christmas present. And uh, I can take a hint, you know, I, I got that. I got that. It, it, what, I share that story because it wasn't like I was saying, I want to sit at my desk all day. You know, I never deliberately said, you know what, I would really only like to walk if I'm walking out to my car to meet somebody for lunch. I never deliberately made that choice. I thought, I'm going to get in shape. I'm going to start taking care of like, my physical well-being. I'm going to. Just not yet. Just not yet. Some of the wisdom that God has for us from the book of Haggai is your future is created by what you do today. Not what you do tomorrow. Don't put off until tomorrow what you can do today. Some of us have that experience. And it weighs heavy. Because I recognize some of us are carrying a secret. Carrying something unconfessed. And you thought that you would share it by now. You thought that you would ask for help by now. And you didn't intend for it to go as long as it has gone on. And you never said, no, I'm not ever going to reach out. No, I'm not ever going to address this thing. You just said, the time has not yet come. It happens with grudges. It happens with withholding forgiveness. Whether it's a small slight or a big slight. We never thought that we would be the kind of person that just holds on to the angst. Holds on to the bitterness for years and years and years. And is just waiting for the right opportunity for it all just to like spill out in the most toxic kind of way. We never intended for that to happen. We always thought, no, no, I'm going to get around to the tough work of, of rooting out that bitterness. Because the only person that I'm poisoning is myself. I'm going to address it just not yet. And it's been a while. It's been too long. For the rest of the time, we're going to look at some of, some of the more excuses, but for the rest of the time, I think it would be remarkable helpful for all of us if, if we looked at what we're going to call, we looked at our unfinished assignment that God has for us. Like, like whatever that thing is, I don't know what it is for you, but whatever that thing is that God has asked you to do, to stop, to restart, my guess is as those words come out, as you hear them, as they land on you, the Spirit is tugging at you and, and is whispering something in, into, your, into your ear. I'm not even asking right now for you to address that thing, but I'm just simply asking you to be open to whatever the Spirit has for you, what that unfinished assignment might be. Maybe it's to share your faith with somebody. Like a, a person comes to mind and you're like, man, I wish that they had the hope of Jesus and the life everlasting, the joy in the day-to-day -day that I get to have. And you're looking for an opportunity to connect with them. And you're like, it just hasn't come up yet. Looking for this chance to share your faith with somebody who needs to hear it. An unfinished assignment. Maybe, maybe it's the nachos thing like, like mine was. Maybe it's to serve. Serve someone in or outside the church. 
Maybe it's to start a ministry. Maybe it's, maybe it's to be a more involved dad. You know, I wish I was the kind of dad that, that my dad was to me, and I'm not quite there yet. And the Spirit is whispering into your ear, is that the priority for me this year? What's the unfinished assignment? Maybe it's a writing thing. My desire to want to be the kind of person who wants to journal is well documented, and I have shared that in the past. I just can't get there, right? So, so maybe for you it's, I want to journal. I want to do devotions. I want to write a book. I want to do something. Just dial the numbers. If, you're, if your phone rings, you know, pick it up. What's the unfinished assignment that God has for you? And what we say is not, no, I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to get out of debt. I'm not going to extend for forgiveness. I'm not going to ask for help when I need it. I'm not going to confess. We don't say no. We say not yet. And we're able to put off the good thing, the necessary thing, remarkably long with those powerful words, not yet. But that's not the only excuse that we hear. Verse 3, continuing on. The next excuse, um, then the word of the Lord came through the prophet Haggai. Is it time, listen to the question, is it time for you yourselves to be living in your paneled houses while this house remains a ruin? This is what the Lord Almighty says. Give careful thought to your ways. We're going to see that repeated out. Is God saying, I, I'm just asking a question, you know? Give careful thought to your way. Is this the time for you to live in these paneled houses and the Lord's house is still in a ruin? It's a little bit like mom dropping in and saying, is this really a time for you to be playing video games when the chores aren't quite done yet? It's a question. It's not really a question, is it? Is this the time for you to live in, in, in paneled houses? A little bit, a little bit of context uh, on that. You know, when the people moved back 15 years prior to when this was written, when the people moved back, uh, there was a legitimate survival factor at play here. Uh, they moved into a, into a town, but like, it was destroyed a generation ago. There was, there was no defensive fortifications. There was no homes. Threats of wild animals, threats of wild neighbors coming in, the Samaritans, and, and, and picking on them. Growing anything, and people would just like, come in and, and take it. You know? There's a legitimate survival factor there. And so God graciously provides this, this grace period for them to kind of get their houses in order. Right? To, to build something, to put up some gates so their sheep don't wander off, to put up some walls so the wolves don't come in. Right? There's a legitimate survival factor. And he offers this grace to allow them to build that. The paneled houses is a commentary on the level of finish that their houses got to. It wasn't just like, boy, we need a door so the wild animals don't come in. We need a wall so the wild neighbors don't come in. Oh, no. They're like, we need granite countertops because it's nice. We need crown molding because a house isn't really a home until it feels cozy. And God is like, I'm not opposed to you having nice things. I'm opposed to the nice things having you. They've taken over your hearts. They've taken over your life. The level of finish. You're prioritizing your own comfort over my calling in your life. If we look at this passage through, if we look at our, our lives through the lens of asking, like, what is that unfinished assignment that God has for us? Uh, number one, maybe sometimes we say, not yet. The second one, maybe we've prioritized our own comfort 
uh, making a name for ourselves rather than making a difference, working on our houses over his house. Not yet, uh, comfort kills calling, verse 6. Possibly the most relatable passage that's also 2,500 years old. There's going to be somebody who resonates with this. You have planted much, but harvested little. You eat, but never have enough. You drink, but never have your fill. You put on clothes, but are not warm. You earn wages only to put them in a purse with holes in it. I mean, it almost doesn't require any more explanation than that. You work harder than you've ever worked before, and you feel more empty than you've ever felt before. You have more, more entertainment, more resources, more goods at your disposal, but you've never more experienced the feeling, isn't there something more than this? Verse 7, this is what the Lord says. And we get some action steps, finally, from God. Give careful thought to your ways, again. Go up to the mountains. Bring down timber. And build my house. So that I may take pleasure in it and be honored, says the Lord. Go up. Bring down. Build. Go up, bring down, build. We could do it all day. Go up, bring down, build. Which mountain again, God, are you asking me? The high, the high one with the trees on it? Steep one. Go up. Bring down the, the timber. You know, I'm also going to have to bring an axe up. You know, you, you missed that step. Like one B, bring some chopping tools along with you. One C, also probably bring a sled or something to get it down off the mountain. Gravity is going to help. Logs could roll. There's a lot of logistics here. God's like, go up, bring down, and build. Stop trying to overcomplicate it. I have an unfinished assignment. I want to get in shape, and I want to stop telling myself that round is a shape. I want to do this thing. I want to do a devotional. I want a journal, but I haven't found the right journal yet. You know, If I found a nice one, leather-bound one, I think it would be easier. It would really invite me in. I haven't found the right like the devotional app yet. I want a better marriage. I don't even know where to begin. I want to get out of debt. This thing is just like crushing me. God, I can't think about being generous to anybody else. I'm in survival mode all the time. You don't know how complicated this thing is. Go up. Bring down. Build. God gives us, remarkably often, steps one, two, and three. Not four, five, and six. I think the possibility remains that if we knew what step six was out there on the horizon, we would never do it. We would never go that far. 
We wouldn't ever take those first steps because we're terrified of, of the journey that God has for us. So oftentimes, in his infinite wisdom, he's going, I've whispered to you what this unfinished assignment is going to be. And all I need from you right now is to go up. Like, set the alarm to wake up a little early tomorrow morning. Like, do it right now, phone-friendly. It's okay. Go up. Take the first step. God, uh, Psalm 119, we get this beautiful picture of of how God often leads us. Uh, Your word, the psalmist writes, your word is a lamp to my feet. Not, Not light posts down the highway of where I'm going, but a lamp just illuminating the path immediately in front of me. Just so that I don't, I miss the rocks and, and the dips, the, the holes I could sprain or twist an ankle. Just right in front of me, these steps. God, in his wisdom, doesn't give us the whole thing. He just gives us the steps right here in front. The wisdom of the book of Haggai, take it. Stop using the excuses of, it's not no, it's just not yet. Don't allow comfort to end early the calling that God has for you. Don't, last thing, overcomplicate everything and say, God, it's, it's not clear. I don't know where I'm going. If I don't know where the destination is, I can't start off on the journey. No, no, no. Go up. Bring down. And start building. Go up. Bring down. Build. Start the journey today. Do something today. Be faithful with God today. Because he was so incredibly faithful to us every day. Jesus went up and died. He brought down salvation to everybody who would believe. And he continues to build his church today. Go up, bring down, and build. I love this little anecdote from Brad Isaac, who's a computer programmer, and he uh, wants to learn how to be a comedian or a better comedian, which those two fields, like the Venn diagram of computer programmer and comedian is like the Venn diagram is just two circles. Like they don't even, they don't even touch. So he needs some help, and he ends up having uh, a very brief, very brief conversation with Jerry Seinfeld. Some of you recognize he is like the comedian, the, the most successful comedian of all time. And uh, Brad uh, eventually gets a hold of him and kind of shouts up, hey, uh, words of wisdom for a young comic. And Seinfeld's uh, inspiration to him in that moment was, if you want to be a better comic, you need to tell better jokes. <laughs> Thank you. And, was, and the, only way, the only way to tell better jokes is to write a lot of jokes. And so I've, I found this so helpful in the going up, bring down, start building, that uncomplicating what can be extraordinarily complicated, especially when we don't know what your unfinished assignment is. Take the words of wisdom from Jerry Seinfeld. He goes, this is all we do. You get a, a huge calendar, the biggest calendar that you can find. Biggest calendar that I could find was in my daughter's bedroom, her school calendar from the previous year. Grab a calendar, you know, find the date. And he goes, start writing jokes. Write 100 jokes. And on the first day that you write 100 jokes, the only thing that you do is you take a a big marker and you put an X over the one date. He goes, this, contrary to popular thought, this is the first link 
in a very long chain. The only assignment that you have is don't break the chain. Just don't let it break. The, the next day, write another 100 jokes. Put another X on the calendar and then another X on the calendar. After just a few days, you start to see the links in the chain. Every day, your assignment is just simply don't break the chain. Notice the words of wisdom from Jerry Seinfeld isn't make sure they're good jokes. (laughs) Make sure they make people laugh. There's no attention paid whatsoever to the results. All the attention is just simply don't break the chain. Are these jokes that I have to use in the show? Don't even worry about that. Just don't break the chain. Go up, bring down, and build. Do it tomorrow. Being faithful tomorrow as God has been faithful every day. I want to invite you to stand up. Let's pray together. Our gracious God in heaven, you have been so, so faithful to us. God, you have been extraordinarily generous to us. God, I I pray that as we re-examine the priorities, that you would illuminate our priority. Whatever it is, there's going to be your gift to help us live a more meaningful, more intentional, and more important life. Spirit, convict us to no longer say not yet, to no longer elevate comfort over calling, to no longer rest on the excuse of, I don't have the clarity that I need yet, but the courage to follow through and to go up, bring down, and start building. Jesus, we pray this in your name. Amen. Hey, church. It's our sincere prayer that this message was able to help you find new life in Christ. And if you did find it helpful, would you consider donating to help drive this ministry forward? And don't forget, there's no substitute for doing life together. So find a worship experience, join a small group, or a serving team today. You can do all this at EncounterChurch.org.